Mr. or Mrs. Listener, we accept the fact that you're going to sacrifice a whole hour to listen to this podcast, but we think you are crazy. In the simplest terms, you see us as you want to see us. A Ninja Turtle, a Jedi, a Redhead, a Mike. Sincerely yours, Redhead Family Therapy Guy, and a Mike. Don't you forget about the bugger. All right, Redhead Family Therapy Guy. And a mic. Are coming to you from Highway 55, going south in Mississippi. And this is a new, like, we're crossing some, some I don't know what the right word is here. This is some new uh, territory. New threshold, yes. Yes, new territory. Into the road tripping podcast. So we're road tripping together for work. We're headed to Slidell or New Orleans for a work conference. Yeah. And uh, Mike and I love to hang out. So we're hanging out and road tripping. And we're like, Mike's like, hey, we can record in the car. <laughs> and so I'm like, let's, why not let's do it entertain ourselves let's go yeah because we're going to talk anyway so it's like well, we're going to talk anyway so we should just talk about something while we drive in the car exactly so here we are doing it and so and 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 because of that instead of jumping into a movie because we've we've talked about that we want to talk about other stories just besides movies yeah do some books some books so um we're huge brandon sanderson fans and uh, Brandon Sanderson has uh, a lot of books, and uh, one of the threads is the Stormlight Archives. Yes. And uh, there's four books. So, full disclosure, I know some of our fans, mainly one, that has not read all the books. We oh, are going to ruin them for you. Yeah, too bad. So, so sorry. If you don't want the fourth book, <laughs> The Rhythm of War Ruined, then do not listen to the podcast. Because we're so, going to... I think so just I think we can outline so Do it. real quick. So there's four books out right mm-hmm. now in the Stormlight Archive. The Stormlight Archive is a part of the bigger universe, the Cosmere. And so the four books that we're gonna be discussing or we'll kinda touch light line. We're on not gonna one. discuss the books Index. necessarily, but a character yes. within Teft. We're gonna talk about Teft from yes. the uh, from the Stormlight Archive series. Bridgeman. Um, and so it is Way of Kings. And then Words of Radiance, Radiance, Oathbringer, and then Rhythm uh, Rhythm of War. War. You know, and it was Jack, my son, Mm -hmm. who who helped me understand. He's like, oh, the fourth book. He's like, he's referencing books that exist on... Uh, yes, on, uh, books. what's the name of the of the location? Uh, what's the name oh, of the? Oh, co- I can't the remember. Continent? Yeah, the thing. Uh, shoot, a- I can't remember. Oh wait, is it is it Roshar? Roshar, Roshar, yeah, Roshar. So there's actually books like The Way of Kings there are, is a book. Yes, in the first book, and then Words of Radiance is a book, yes. which you hear excerpts from the book. Throughout the books. Throughout the books. (laughs) And so I hope that Brandon Sanderson actually writes those books. It would be cool. How freaking awesome would it be? I would probably pay any amount of money for those (laughs) books. Because I'm an audio book listener. Then we can become a night radiant. I know, right? Because I really would love like the way of kings book that is referenced in the it book would way be of kings. really Come on, interesting how cool would that? and i'm sure he's thought about it uh, how I don't could know he how not he i yeah. need to if i meet him we're going to talk about it <laughs> or if we have him on the podcast which we will have him on the podcast that would be amazing i i uh there was this one night where he made a post on facebook and um 
I, I commented fairly soon after he had posted. And so he must have been looking at the comments. And I was like, Brandon Sanderson, I'd love to have you on my podcast. And he responded. And yeah. he said, I would love to be on your podcast. I'm doing my own and I'm really busy, but you can try reaching out to my guy. Yeah, his and publicist I, or and something. And I couldn't find the publicist information <laughs> anywhere. I'm not in the inner circle. We, we might so. have to do like a little uh, Kickstarter or something to fund, fund the, uh, <laughs> the co- what it, appearance fee for the Brandon Sanderson. Fee. Sanderson. <laughs> but but I know people that know people Brand- that know Brandon. That so I'm going to work that connection at some point. So Massage it. All right. So we are going to talk about, because I've been dying to talk about this topic. Um because we talk about movies and we just talk about whatever with movies. And sometimes uh, some of our episodes, we've had topics about the movies. Yeah. Um, and so I've wanted to talk about addiction. Um, and so we're going to talk about addiction at length today, or, or that's going to be our topic of, of uh, mental health discussion. And then we're going to reference this character that has an addiction issue um, in the Stormlight Archives books, which is Tef. Tef has an addiction to moss. Yes. Which is this... Uh, fire moss. Fire moss, which you can... You crush it in your, your hand, and then it like releases some kind of gas, mm-hmm. and you have a euphoric um, response yes. to that. Correct. So, um, so that's Tef's addiction. Mm-hmm. We don't learn about Tef's addiction until book three. Yeah, yeah. yeah when kinda, they're in I, your I think there's room. some allusion to. Yeah. I mean, and you know that he's he's been. Uh, put into the bridgemen. So just for a little context, there are these bridge crews that you learn about in the first book. Right. And the bridge crews are basically like the sacrificial uh, bodies that yeah, they're just, they're all, they (laughs) are are thrown out in these wars. to take the, take the, the brunt of the attack. Right. They're, they're fighting the war against uh, the Parshendi Mm -hmm. and they need these bridges to deal with the land formations. They have these chasms they have to cover. And so Sadius, who's one of the princes, what are they? What are they yeah. called? High, prince, uh, high yeah, princes. high prince. I think. Yeah. And uh, he, in his fighting of the Parshendi, he uses these bridge crews because the Parshendi will shoot at the slaves carrying the bridge crew. So they're kind of like a distraction. Yeah. Which it's really is to really prevent gross. them from getting the bridges across, right? Yes. Because the Prashindi want to prevent them from getting across these chasms. Right. And uh, Sadius uh, it goes of the, the mind that, well, the more bridges we send out, the more of these people, these, you know, disposable bodies that we can use, we'll get, you know, we'll get at least one bridge yeah. that goes, well, bridges and then the chasm. They're not and we don't shooting, care if we lose these people. Yeah, and they're not not shooting arrows at his um his soldiers. more valuable yeah yeah and so it's a distraction it's what a he really considers to be his more valuable. right exactly sadius is not a very noble high prince in the uh what is the name of the kingdom man these Gosh. are good questions um it's something with a c and i'm not remembering okay yeah sorry i don't have my computer in front of me because we're in the car all right so but it kind of sets this precedent yes. right for this this kind of overarching theme of um, the worth of a soul, right? Yes. The, and, and, and so that's kind of, that kind of sets the precedent, <sighs> which kind of covers the myriad of stories that you have going on within this, yeah. this, uh, this, this saga. And, and, you know, I, I feel like that to me, man, just really, oh, Sanderson really knows how to get to oh, your heart profound. and really tug at, at, I feel like some real, deep well, basic truths that we all struggle with and right. that's what i love about his writing at yeah, least uh, specifically in 
this uh, the Stormlight Archive. I mean, I, I love a lot of his other books, but yeah. this ar- the Stormlight Archive. He really it just seems masterful well, how he well, does that. Yeah, the value of a soul, and he does a great job in this story t- in this story in this thread because he also humanizes the enemy. Yes. And and uh, and really opens up the door. That's been a, a big part of the fourth book of Rhythm of War, where yes. a, a good portion of the story is one of the major Parshendi players and how they've kind of been seduced and where they're at and, and how the humans of Roshar and the natives of Roshar, which are the Parshendi or the listeners, um, and the con, you know, and how this other kind of godly character in the universe has seduced them or. Per- perpetuated this war between you know these two races yes. of individuals it's really which a is a really cool thought really and i don't want to get is. too far off yeah, our, topic to here, our topic here yeah. i love that idea of you know in relationships it's not always and and i feel like most of the time it's not about right or wrong like someone's right someone's wrong it's about the struggle that we're having internally of how we may view ourselves in that situation mm-hmm. to where we're feeling so inadequate how we feel threatened that, yes, how we feel that safe, we act out preservation of with, life. with yeah. anger or irritability well, or criticism well, and that becomes and it's interesting too right because to get to a place that you're going to attack and kill an enemy yeah you have to vilify them right mm-hmm. you know it's interesting i remember like jordan peterson talks a lot about how the propaganda of dehumanizing jews to equate them to cockroaches and rats yeah made it pal- you know palatable to to murder them and gen you know and to create an extermination right sure and so you know if we don't allow ourselves to dehumanize someone then how can we really how can we murder them how can we kill them you know what i mean it's a really an important thing yeah, to there recognize. has to be a driver right there needs yes. to be a, a purpose and a reason i mean not for everyone there there are those that that I mean, there's definitely mental health issues going on there where they don't need those drivers. But yeah, definitely there needs to be a driver. And and so um, with Teft, we have kind of this introduction of this bridge crew. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so Teft is is uh, basically, he's a bridge crew member. He's a bridge man. Mm-hmm. And he, uh, he is, you know, just like all these other kind of sacrificial well, they're, they're, bodies, well, they're he's dejected. one of them. Dejected, they're at the low point. Yes. They they absolutely have done. I mean, most of the characters have done pretty horrible things yes. for the most part. Um, and he's very kind of rough, right? Oh, yeah, he's like rough standoffish. But you kind yeah. of get a sense throughout the first couple books, if I remember right, that he um, he must have like they all have stories, of course. But he oh, must yeah. have some type of background. He's also not a slave, right. which most of them have slave marks brands, on their right. brands yeah, on he, their forehead. He was uh, essentially a platoon leader, a trainer, mm-hmm. a sar- not a sergeant, I don't know uh, ranks very well, but he was a, a ranked officer, a training officer and he and he definitely had sk- he had skill. You know, yes. he had skill, he had experience. And I think what you're saying earlier is, I th- if I remember right, we find out in the third book why he was yes. thrown into the bridge crew. Yes. But we, we do kind of get some allusion to, okay, there's some history, some background there. He's not just a normal yes. bridge man. And he has deep internalized shame yes. independent of his career in the army because of his history. And Definitely. Yeah. And that and, comes, I think, I think that's mostly in book four, right? But the thing that's so important about Teft is that Teft is really the first one that responds yes. to what Kaladin endeavors to do 
do to protect and save the bridge crews? Because Kaladin, which we don't have to go to. Let's so just Kaladin, stay away from going into too yeah, much about Kaladin. So Kaladin but, will definitely do another podcast yeah, on. Yeah. And he is he he is a main character. Oh, the, yeah, uh, I would and, say. And so I would say Teft would fall yeah. into supportive role. Yes. And, but Teft's story is just so... I mean, well, there, there's so... Everyone, I, it almost is like everyone's a main character oh, to me because sure. there's yes. so much depth well, and, and story so to them. Without Teft, Kaladin wouldn't really discover who he is. The Teft, main character needs Teft for sure. Yes. There, there is no story to build off of without Teft, Teft being support. involved. So, but he is a supportive role. So he's a comrade to Kaladin. He's a mm-hmm. believer in Kaladin. He's a, an instructor to Kaladin because he's an older rough guy where Which Kaladin's a young I think teenager, is a neat, kind, of, kind of late teenager. A neat part of of this role of, of Teft and this kind of history with addiction and struggling with, with other relational or emotional issues from an early childhood, it's kind of a neat way to introduce his recovery yeah. Is through well, and finding I love, a meaning, right? Yeah, well, finding a way to support someone well, else. And I love that Brandon Sanderson in book three allows Taft to fail horribly. Sure. Like he he's like second in command. So so the whole, you know, the progression of the story of Bridge Four is they become liberated from their bridge uh, mm-hmm. slavery um, by Dalinar, which is an incredibly profound scene in the book in the stories. Um, the the story progresses and so you have the Knights Radiant and Kaladin is essentially the captain of the Knights Radiant and Teft is second in charge. And I think that's important to kind of just throw throw out also when we're speaking of Knights Radiant, Knights Radiant is is a part of the the really the storyline that is kind of mythical. Yes, it's, it's, the magic. It's part. like okay, it's almost like Jedi, right? Jedi yes. in Episode Four, where it's like oh, this mythical thing that I yes. think was at some point, but we're right. not sure. Right, and so and so the the Knights Radiant uh, are are powerful and and to even think that a slave or a bridgeman a sacrificial a, a worthless yeah person the most deject and pathetic uh, of society could become this mythical mysterious grand like being well and is and really an interesting i love that it's really it's cool. profound yeah mm-hmm. and kaladin's faction of night radiance because there's a couple different factions mm-hmm. of night radiance are the wind runners which are the most honorable yeah of the night's which radiance, is such which a is cool profound. thing pro- all right and so, i think that's really interesting when you think about addiction and yes. recovery because right, so yeah let's let's digress okay. and talk about addiction right so let's just overview i i have like you know when Go i talk it. to folks or we have this opportunity to do psychoeducation with faith leaders in our in our work and so one of the things i'll i'll talk about when i say addiction is the most basic fundamental way to understand addiction is is it's a maladaptive coping strategy mm-hmm. we all have distress in our lives and when faced with that distress we turn to a coping strategy that's not healthy. Yeah. That's what addiction is. And it's a compulsory behavior. It can just be, it can be substance based. It can be behavioral based. It can be food. And that's a great point because I I typically will use the term compulsive behavior. And I I like that because because an addiction uh, is a compulsive behavior, but a compulsive behavior may not be a diagnosable addiction or 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 maladaptive. Or maladaptive. And so compulsive behavior, if if you hear me reference that throughout, I'm just referring to behaviors that, that, yes, could be addictions or they could just be a, a, a behaviors that you want to, to stop doing. Right. 
because of the compulsory nature mm-hmm. of them, right? But it exactly. could be anything. Could. Shopping, yeah. screen time, eating, gambling, gambling, yep. substance Getting abuse. Getting angry. Yeah. <laughs> all types and, of things. Right. So anytime where we feel and what happens, all right, so the compulsory behavior is turned to when we're the 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 word that we always use and the word that is becoming a pop culture word is triggered, right? Sure. So the distressing emotions are triggered. That could be anxiety, that could be depression and i think that's really self-interesting because i think a a lot of times with behaviors we think we think the the initial trigger is oftentimes a thought thing or something we see or or, yeah or the thing itself like like particularly in pornography one of the big things i work with individuals that Mm -hmm. are struggling with sexual acting now and compulsive sexual behavior is they all they like they'll get real stuck in the sex because there's all this shame about about you know unhealthy behaviors in regards to sex which are you know still pretty hated and loathed and and judged in our community and cultures but but really it's not about the sexual acting out it's about the distressing emotional experience and that's a turning to the maladaptive behavior to escape or soothe or reward or i think that's a really important point yeah is this idea that hey we have triggers but your initial trigger is always going to be related to some type of emotional distress. Yes. And, always. and identifying. And I think that's always. where a lot of struggle, I think there's really two areas where a yeah. lot of struggle come in to recovery. Yeah. And that's a failure to recognize what yes. these initial triggers are and how to identify and then and then develop coping yeah, tools specific for them. And then shame is the second yeah, one. But we so, can get into shame. Yeah, we're going bit. to. But so, you know, you're going to be hopelessly incapable of recovery if you don't have what I call a two-pronged approach to, to change. And that is the day-to-day awareness of triggers and maladaptive uh, coping strategies mm-hmm. and, the, and the rituals and uh, behaviors that are a part of you falling into or the structure that's around you acting out. Um, and then the awareness of the shame or the deeper emotional trauma which addiction is organized around so there is the addiction addiction is considered um you know a well-worn mm-hmm. uh cycle cycle mm-hmm. right and so um you to be able to overcome well, addiction, I, you've got to you've got to cultivate a psychoeducational understanding of the cycle of and addiction. I think that's what is is heartbreaking to me. A lot of times when I'm working with people, is that they'll come in feeling so hopeless because they've tried everything, yes. but they've not they've maybe not tried. Identi- well, yeah, the <laughs> they have that, not identified their <laughs> emotional triggers. They have the not identified is their so shame. key, right? Yeah. The recognition to what's really going on, and that's really tricky when it comes it is, to compulsive behaviors. Is. Which is why, uh, which is why we're huge advocates for AA sure. or support Any groups support because group. mm-hmm. the support group community and getting into those environments. Uh, Folks that are in there and have been in recovery know this road and can start to open well, the door. You and can it's have multifaceted, yes. right? Because you get yes. psychoeducation and you get support. Ex- but also, just like we see with Teft, the path to recovery is not only receiving yes. support, right, so but giving about support, yes. which I think is such a cool and beautiful thing. Right. And I would say that addiction, in, in addition to what we've outlined here, is, an, is a, um, a mental health disorder 
of emotional isolation. Definitely. So uh, any addict that I've worked with almost never has really meaningful, deep emotional connections, right? Because they're hiding. A huge part of the addiction cycle is a retreat into the self. Well, and 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 that's where the shame and really why yeah, that's where shame is so important in this understanding because it's that self view that inhibits your ability to connect with others because you feel that you're not worth or you have a negative interaction with someone and then that's proof to fuel the shame, yes, right? It, to fuel the I'm right. bad, I'm not mm-hmm. enough. Look this at is what hopeless. I did. I betrayed. Yes. I'm wasting all this money when my pa- my family can't pay bills. Mm-hmm. I'm betraying my spouse by acting out in this way. I am a terrible, horrible, loathsome individual so I should yes. just go use and act and out. And it's the connection that heals all that. Right. right. Being able to connect, being able to, right. to, there's to an really, attachment injury yes. as a ro- result of whatever history or traumas we mm-hmm. have. And so, um, the opportunity to connect with others that have struggled where we find acceptance and encouragement, um, it creates this atmosphere where like, oh, maybe I'm not a horrible, deplorable person. Here are other individuals that have struggled and maybe other individuals that have struggled far worse than I yes. have. And here they are listening to me hearing my story and they still like me and they don't think I'm a horrible terrible person right so there's this opportunity are so powerful yeah even though they're not therapeutic right no they're just support and that's why they're so powerful is because of the connection the understanding that can come through the connection or really the the feeling of uh healing and and uh identifying that I'm not worthless right that's right i have value i do that really becomes that powerful tool to to move forward and you know i think that that's interesting because like you said oftentimes uh when you're working when i'm working with someone who's struggling with compulsive behavior they're they're not thinking I need to work on my uh, relationships. No, They're they thinking, don't. They think, I just need to get some tools so I can stop right. this. They're probably should focused. stop in the next week. Yeah. If They're I got the right tools. They're focused on the alcohol. They're focused on the pornography. Yeah. They're focused on the food. And that's not where the problem is. Well, the, the thing is you have to go back to this basic principle that when we, when we feel inadequate and we feel not enough and we're alone in that feeling, it's torture. It is. And so you're going to do anything you can to survive, right? You're going to find coping tools. Escape or soothe is what I would say the the predominant Mm -hmm. behaviors are aimed at doing, right? Like, I mean, with sex, it's like, oh, well, I'm terrible, but this person will give themselves to me. Or I can seduce this person. With a lot of addictions is those addictions work so well at giving very acute temporary relief and that's the issue is it's temporary and that's where it spurs on tolerance going out the window and more and more engagement and and causes so you engage in the behavior you're soothed for a period of time Mm -hmm. then you sober up you realize you're a terrible horrible person and so there's escalation that happens right and then your life becomes more and more unmanageable because as you escalate these and then you're just alone in it right because you're not connecting and you do feel terrible because you probably are doing some pretty horrible and terrible things things that violate your own your own moral code your own your own sense of rightness and i think that's what's so beautiful about Brene brown's definition of guilt versus god yes. or, or, or shame, or shame yeah. is this idea that shame is really 
it's all about your identity and how you view yourself versus uh, guilt, which is recognizing that the action performed was wrong. Was wrong. Yeah, I shouldn't it's, steal. It's, it's, it's identity bad that versus I stole, action, which right? is why that's you know, and and the restoration of that is built into the twelve steps because yes. when you you do a, a, a step four, you do a full inventory, you mm-hmm. do a step five, where you really specifically articulate all of your misdeeds, and then you have the opportunity to make decisions about restitution of the behavior thing that you did that was wrong. Instead of internalizing the idea that because I did these things, I'm not worthy of love and belonging, which is the lie. It's not true. And, and this is where I get a little, you know, I might get kicked back at this from the about this at times. And that is this, you know, the, the idea of when, when you go to a support group, oftentimes the, the nomenclature is, I, you know, hi, I'm Michael, I'm an addict. And, yeah, I'm not, yeah. and I, I'm a big advocate on, uh, you know, I, I don't want to identify myself well, as anything but of worth. And but, so, but I, yeah, I yeah, understand. Th- I think there's value in I the sure. acknowledgement that my life has become unmanageable and I am compulsively and, bound and so to this I behavior. Where, kind of where I go is, hi, I'm Michael and, and I struggle with an addiction Yes, versus well, I, I am an addict. And it's just a play on, on well, identity, well, it's, right? It's Who an, I am and what that means because I am not my addiction, right? right? I, I am of worth. I am of value, and I have the ability to become, you know, really, really whatever I want to become. I mean, there are outside limitations on us at times, <laughs> and depending on where we grow up. And I think I can. Support. I think I can get to a place where I can dunk. I mean, maybe you know. I mean, if I did sure. some, if I followed sure. the knees over toes guy, a little trampoline, <laughs> a little trampoline action, in yeah. there. But yeah, so so I I think that's an important. I respect the the addiction community Definitely. and the and the and the encouragement of acknowledgement of addiction. And I but I love I love the um, the CR uh, movement around addiction, where you know I'm a son of God, sure, um, that struggles with the compulsive behavior. Behavior, yeah. and I, and it's gotten out of control. But yeah, I'm a strong narrative-oriented therapist as well, and and I worry about the limitations of I'm an addict, always and an I addict. Don't, I don't you know? tell people not to go to AA. No, and AA oh my gosh, you know, no, absolutely, I, go. Like they're great and they're, and they're amazing. I think that just some education and understanding about what about you're saying, awareness of yeah of who you are and what that yes. means, and decreasing shame, understanding yes. how to appropriately deal with guilt. Uh, so that you can continue far forward and, separate. and not get stuck in those feelings of isolation, yes. feelings of self-hatred that and perpetuate shame. that yeah. cycle. Because shame really is the devil of addiction. Oh, like it's, it's it, the core. It's yes. the it's the hidden. It, it's the number one for me. The number yes. one thing that perpetuates the but, cycle yes. that nobody is aware of like yes it's so hard to understand how deep shame is yeah if you don't overcome shame if you don't become articulate I about see shame you can get out of the you, cycle you can't yeah. get out of the cycle because you're not going to understand your emotional triggers and you're not going to do the work of restoring your sense of value which is why teft is such a profoundly important character and the way that brandon um addresses and writes about his journey is really essential because here's Taft second in command in book three um, and he has completely fall fallen in full into his addiction and uh, the cool thing about the bridge four which is the community 
of slaves that have become redeemed and uh, have, have cultivated this personality and persona of the Knights Radiant. So, they're this core group where they have acceptance and love. And so, Tef's in this really supportive community and is an important person in this important community, but this is part of his shame, is that yeah. like, people can't count on me. I've failed people. I've betrayed people. And it's, and it's hurt the people that I love most in a way, it's, well, it's murder Because them. it's who I am. Yes. Like, I, I am bad. Yes. Therefore, there's no way that they should that trust me I or can, count on yeah. me. Right. So, he turns to the moss. He turns to the acting out because he can't escape. Well, because he's in torture. Yeah. He's being tortured by his past and his shame and the fear that his brothers really can't count on him. And so, he ends up in these horrible places. You know, yeah. he's, he's, I mean, it, it's so well, awful. The sad on, thing. Let me, let me just articulate this, this, this arc. It, it becomes most profound in book three when he sells his uniform for money so he can get yeah. high. And, uh, and his brothers find him. They know what's going on. They're kind of subtly trying to like confront yeah. him, but he pushes back. And, and Kaladin really uses his powers as a captain to kind of uh, free him from really the consequence of how he's really kind of fallen, right? Yes. I'm sorry. I cut you and off there. No, I know no, that's fine. And I think that's a great uh, point there is that in doing that, it you're you're really self-fulfilling prophecy mm-hmm. of I am bad. I'm not enough. And then you do this behavior just to survive. Yeah, I mean, that's all that, that Teft wants is, is to survive. feel enough, right? to feel some relief, well, really. And, and in doing that, to get some relief, he ends up doing something that becomes proof and further awful. traumatizes him yes. into this belief system well, that I am, I am definitely bad. bad. Well, and he's being triggered. Oh, He's being tr- little phone call for yeah, you guys. Yeah, we got a little phone call. Um, <laughs> and, people, and he's being triggered by the emotional and relational progression that he's a part of in this friend group, right? Yes. Because his friends are counting on him, and that triggers his shame because he's betrayed or he's perceived that he's betrayed people that he loves, his family, and this well, group that he was about, a part of. If you of. care about someone. And you feel that they're relying on you. And you're a piece of crap. But you know, you know that deep down you are nothing. Like you sincerely believe I'm nothing. I am bad. I'm not enough. Then how... I mean, how torturous would that be when you truly care about someone and love them? And I think that's what becomes so confusing for family members in in this addiction cycle or this compulsive behavior cycle with with those that we work with is they see they see at moments this love and this desire to to really do the right thing but then they continue to fall prey to the addiction yes and it's really confusing and that's because that person is good they are a good person. They're yeah, awesome. They're loved. And they value they're loved. Like they value reaching out and serving and supporting others, but they just can't get past the shame. They truly right. believe yeah. that they're bad. Well, and so, and you can only go so long, right? Right. That's the intensity of the the trauma yeah. that is that exists in the life of addicts. And and that is such a difficult impasse 
because you have to dare to believe or you have to see a different story that you are or you've got to learn to separate your identity from the addiction right you can't see yourself as the behaviors you need to see who you are Mm -hmm. you need to see your value you need to see that you are good and capable of connection and experience connection and and the belief in that that connection is what really perpetuates and and uh, and moves forward recovery, right? Because yes. one of the key things that happens, th- this is a key moment in the life of anyone that's engaging into recovery, because the triggers don't stop. Even if you make some significant progression um, with your understanding of triggers, that the triggers don't don't stop per yeah, se. No. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like even myself, I think I'm in a really emotionally healthy place in my life, but it's like the Paul thorn in your side that kind of never goes away because that's Definitely. the intensity of an attachment injury, right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you have to develop an awareness of that. Well, that's why connection becomes so important. Right. And so these key moments where you're triggered, where you're at the precipice of, am I going to isolate in this maladaptive behavior or am I going to call my sponsor? I'm going to reach yes. out to someone and um, and get a soothing, acknowledging, connecting like, hey, man, I've been there. Hey, I know what you're going through. Because a lot of times addicts don't even have to talk about the behavior. They need to talk about the fact that they feel alone. Yes. Right. They need to talk about the fact that they feel um, well, that the shame experience, the excruciating isolating um vexing experience of that trauma is what's what they're living in and that's where the hiding and lying is is, yes is squashed right is is when we identify that okay i'm not i'm not bad i'm struggling yes and if i reach out and 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 talk to someone or connect with someone earlier than later yeah then it, it 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 becomes a powerful coping tool That's instead right. of the maladaptive behavior. And I, so I love to use a very simple cycle. Uh, it's from a, a book called uh, uh, Breaking the Cycle of Compulsive Behaviors, I think is what it's called. Uh, but it's just a four, four step cycle. And I love it because it's real simple. So it starts with feelings of isolation, which then go into actions of self-indulgence, which would be the behavior, the maladaptive behavior. Mm-hmm. And Straight. it's really important at this stage to understand what rituals you have in place that affirm the pathways of the brain, right? Because yes. that's one of the challenges and one of the reasons why the medical model wants to call addiction a disease, which there's a great deal of, of validity to, because I have this emotional um trigger and there's pathways in my brain that are linked to the the maladaptive coping strategy well, and, and yeah our amygdala our our, our um, limbic system really make our brains extremely ritualistic mm-hmm. and so they go to rituals constantly right, right. it's it's what it what we think soothes us and takes care of the issue well, and it's this need of of uh, predictability it's yeah. this need of well that's stability. why it's so important like you're saying to recognize those rituals yes. and then implement healthy rituals right Right. rituals that will bring us more peace and comfort but breaking that chain and establishing 
establishing new neuropathways exactly. to healthy behaviors is a tall freaking well, because order. The new neural the new things are not going to work as good. They're not going to no. feel as good as well, the addiction. No, not as profound. It's going to take time because yep. the time take the brain takes time to reset. Yeah, the, the chemistry well, can reset. Not, it just takes time. And they're not going to be as profoundly. They're not going to be the euphoria of uh, an acting out behavior. It's no, going to be, but it it won't be that intensity forever either, right? No. So in the beginning, not. it's going <laughs> to be a lot worse. No, it's a lot of pain, which later. is why why some addicts when they're um, really wandering into the world of recovery will do 90 meetings in 90 days. Yeah. They'll do a meeting a day because to break the 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 maladaptive strategy to go into the acting out behavior they need daily connection and daily opportunities to address and confront and talk through when you think about it if any of you i mean if you've not been to a group i highly encourage oh, going to a meeting do it's it. so so it's powerful awesome. but if you think about going to a meeting one a day for 90 days or or even more than Huge that if commitment. you wanted not only that but Oh my goodness, you are like on steroids of decreasing shame and building yes, connection. Absolutely. Like that, there is so much power and spiritual growth that comes from these meetings in in really just connecting and mm. feeling that you are something. Yes. That you're, you're not relatable, this trash. You're, you're not, not trash. Mm -hmm. And and the 90 day day mount is 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 significant because we we know that neuropathways um, breaking neuropathways and establishing new pathways are around like a 45-day kind of magical number. So you're doubling that, right? You know, like the intense... Well, and and well, it's also important to recognize that really research shows, you know, you want to, if you're going to implement new new processes, you, you really want to keep days. them for, for at least five years. And, and oh, you're the, going thing I, the, you're thing going that, the thing that I think is really powerful about that is that if you've done something for five years, why even stop at that point? Right. And I think that there's that's really powerful. But but you know, the idea there is that you know that that recovery. What they've seen is recovery is really a five year process. And and the thing too to understand is because of the nature of engaging in addictive behavior, where you have the euphoria of brain chemicals in response to the behavior or the substance that you engage in, when you detox, you're going to feel like crap yeah. for for 45 days. Well, and that's and, why that and your 45, brain, 90 day is important, yes, right? Because you, you're going to have the brunt of it. Right. And then you'll have you'll have moments throughout time. Like I, a lot of people I've noticed, it, it seems like, you know, right around... I feel like a couple months in, you know, the, you it start starts to, to see, better. and then it's like six months and then a year. You have these moments where you get, you get triggered more so than you have because uh, you have like a honeymoon period, right? And then you'll, you'll, yeah. you'll get these well, triggering which moments. Is why I find those are kind of scattered throughout. And I think that's why that five year model is so important. Yeah. Recognizing, Hey, you might have it's these a long moments road. It's a long for road. a little while. Well, and you, you need time because your brain and your body need time to establish these other healthy ways of feeling good. Yes. And, uh, and you're, you've damaged your system through maladaptive behaviors. That's why they're destructive. It's it's why they don't work. You yeah. can't engage in addictive behaviors. 
and not end up at rock bottom. You will over time because they're, they're this equation that never balance. You need more, you want more, you feel worse, you want more. And so that's what rock bottom is. Yeah. You know what but I mean? as you were saying, you know, the 45 day, you know, really the brain, the brain heals. We, it does. The beautiful thing about our bodies is it they does. heal. And so it's not hopeless. Not at all. But it's not easy. It is not easy. It is a tough road, which <laughs> is why no, you need support. No easy fix. <laughs> no, there is no easy fix. So if you're looking for easy fixes, um, I've come to realize in life there are none. If there were, I, I mean, I'd be a rich therapist. <laughs> let's do it. So, so let's. I, I, so in con, in in the context of this idea idea that we're talking about, one of the things that's so profound about this character Teft is in book four of the Rhythm of War, um, before this really traumatic um, moment, Tef realizes. So Tef gets struck down and he's in this coma mm-hmm. and he gets woken he gets awoke from this coma and in the delirium he's like oh no i relapsed yeah. i'm so terrible but then he discovers that he didn't relapse yeah and and one of the aspects of the night radiance is they make these o's and the one that really saved Teft and really turned him around is the second oath which is i will protect those that can't protect themselves or i will protect those that i hate even if and this is tef's mantra even if it's myself yeah because he's like well i don't feel any good as a person to myself but i recognize that kaladin loves me i recognize that my brothers in bridge four love me and i don't love myself but they love me and i have a responsibility to be here for them so i have to to be, I have to protect my myself even if I can't stand myself. Yeah. But then in book four, he realizes that he's not that and that he is good and that he has, you know, part of the night radiance is they bind a spren, which is a lot to talk about. But yeah, they're these, have to read, read yeah. the books. So <laughs> they, they bind this, let's say, is, supernatural. books. So. Yeah, so some like supernatural uh, personified force yes. uh, that's like a you could say a pixie or something yeah, kind of, yeah. you know, maybe it's Very a, that's pixie, a, some people will not like that description, but it's the easiest <laughs> one. I'm gonna, it's like Peter Pan and Tinkerbell, you know, like, yeah. but essentially it's a more bonded relationship and the relationship with it gives that, you powers. Yeah. You're able, you're able to take power from them and they also take power from you. Mm-hmm. So it's this, the symbiotic relationship that allows for night radiance. So Taft, develops this incredible relationship and becomes this empowered person um and really is redeemed you know is a it's really a beautiful redeemed thing character. and i i love that about teft because i firmly believe this that you know really the path towards the desire to connect and love others always and really starts with loving ourselves yeah. and we can't actualize the really the p- full potential of, of love and recovery and, and recovery. Yeah. If and you hate yourself, if, if we don't, which is really important to appreciate that the addiction cycle is organized around the internalized shame. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so the way that I work with recovery is I really try to help my clients recognize these mo- this model of shame or this mantra for, of shame or the story of shame. My own story of shame is that I'm invisible and that I don't matter, mm-hmm. right? So all of the recovery work or healthy coping strategies, I'm 
engaging to counteract the lie that I'm invisible and that I don't matter. It's not true that I'm invisible and I don't matter. Look, Michael likes me, amazingly <laughs> enough. So, I matter to him. So, that's not true. And yeah. so, my relationship with Michael um, soothes or confronts or um, is the opposite of that internalized idea. Because anytime that I feel like nobody's listening to me in my life, I can send Michael a text and talk to him and we can talk about work. We don't have to, I don't even have to say to him, I'm feeling invisible and like I don't matter today. I can just engage Michael about yeah. our friend, about any, whatever we well, talk about. And I think something important here is that if you're, if you're on the other side, like someone's yeah. reaching out to you, you don't have to do anything no. besides be there. Just yeah. And, and I know that that can, oh, there's a little side of the there you highway go. action for don't you. drive off the road or this podcast <laughs> is going to change quickly <laughs> the road's yelling at me um <laughs> the the thing that i think is really important for for us is that if someone comes to us we don't have to worry have about to fix what it. do i say what do i do yeah just be just i'm here for you yeah well or and, even, and just i want to know more yeah, Tell me, you well, don't you don't have to do anything besides that. And I'm going to bring a Christian idea into this, but it's essentially all you all you have to the only thing you really have to do is allow yourself to mourn with those that mourn. Yeah, sit with you don't. Them that's it. Mm -hmm. And and that's really one of the profound things that that Brandon Sanderson writes into the redemption, which we won't go into. Well, it's healing Kaladin. for both parties. Yes, right? it is because it's connection, mm -hmm. right? So it's not like if somebody comes to you in a time of need, maybe they have a specific need request, and you can do that or not do that. Sure, but really, it's just about like sharing a laugh letting them vent about something that's horrible and frustrating in their life and just being like, yeah, that makes sense that you're upset and pissed off about that. Like you have every right to be, right? It makes sense to me that you would be feeling really hurt by that, you know, but I and, love you and, and you're I great. Ultimately, you know, if someone comes to me, I want them to get to a point where they're comfortable to share what's underneath, right? Because that I know from, from that's my, the primary emotion you've heard yes. us talk about this, right? That's the because primary that's emotion. what leads to true connection is is when someone can share that with you, and and your response is simply just, I, I hear you. You know, yeah. I want to know more. Help, help me understand. Yeah, help me understand. It's just, it's just about like being curious. It's just about being yeah. curious to their experience, and then the real healing is, and the part that's hard in being the one that mourns with those that mourn is that in connecting with them, you have to be open to your own experiences, yes. right? And that's the part that's hard. That's and that's what we, we often do, right? Is, is my response sometimes might be, man, that, that's painful. I feel it. Right. Or we, we do shut off or we do. Sure. Or we, which yeah, is what you have to off. understand. If you're a recovering person and you're feeling other people pull back from you in your time of need, that doesn't mean that you're a failure or you're too much yeah. or that you don't matter. Which it is might hard be to see. that they're getting triggered mm -hmm. and so they're pulling back because it's hard, it, to see it's that hard for them. It's for really some, hard for those Which addicts, is yeah. also why in recovery, you can't just have one person as a person. You've got to have you multiple know you got to have multiple, multiple people support. around mm -hmm. you that you know you can reach out to because sometimes other people aren't available because they're dealing with their own stuff yeah. because hey guess what this might be a newsflash it's not all about you man yeah. <laughs> you know which is one of the problems with individuals that struggle with addiction or most of us is we're excessively egocentric and we think it is all about us but hey sometimes when people are struggling it's not about you and that's where i think 
coming to a place where you can you can be a support to others, right? It really can become healing and powerful too. In that, oh, this person's of, not giving up on getting, us. Should we a lot of should calls? We, should we pause? Because he's <laughs> he's called you like three times, and he's called me like three times. I'm not too worried about it. I think we continue. On. I texted him like he's calling me again. For those for those of you that are are curious, are so it, it's it, John has become my boss, and, and my John's boss, boss is, is calling me him, and then he's calling me. So because he knows we're road he knows together. together cause we're we're good friends. <laughs> Um, actually, we're good friends with Richard. So if Richard's ever listening, listening. We love shout you. out. We love you, Richard. Be <laughs> um, soothed. Don't act out. Don't I think, act out. I, oh, man. <laughs> we, should, we should pause. Yeah. All right, hold on. All right. And all. we're back. <laughs> we're back from the interruption. Thank you, Richard. That was great. It was great to talk with you. It was beautiful. It was so we awesome. were talking about theft and addiction. And addiction. And I think we were uh, at the point where, well, I was trying to, I was just, I was hammering the point of his self acceptance. Oh, and we were talking about how shame is the center point that the addiction cycle is organized around. Yeah. And you and had how just connection, brought up even the point of uh, where he, um, it talks, or you were talking about the second ideal yes. that he had made. Right. And the thing to understand about Teft and the reason why he's so riddled with shame is because his family of origin was a group of people that were kind of zealots maybe, or yeah. they were trying to initiate the return of these night radiants. So they were putting themselves in danger. And so Teft didn't necessarily believe that this stuff would work because they were essentially yeah. putting themselves well, in danger. Basically everyone, right? Doesn't believe yeah. it's kind of this mythical thing. Yes. And so they're, they're having to do these things like uh, some night radiance can fly. Right. So they so people jump were off like a building. jumping off a building yeah. and like essentially committing suicide. So Taft was and the idea is that it's through that process that you can get the spren to connect with right, you, which right? is which is erroneous. It's not how yeah. it works. So Taft goes and tells the city lord about this group, the Envisager, to try to stop them from doing what they're doing, but they wouldn't relent. Mm. And the city lord executed the whole you know, zealot group yeah. of envisager, except for Taft. And so yes. he feels awful because his parents and this, you know, community was exterminated because he told on them. Yeah. But it was that information about the Ninth's Radiance and Surge Binding that led him to recognize that Kaladin was a Surge Binder and he didn't even realize it. So he's able to give some basic information of the emergence of Kaladin um, in the beginning stages of the Night Radiance. He knows about the first ideal. Um, he knows about being able to take in Stormlight, which allows you to use these powers or whatever. And so, if Teft hadn't had that knowledge from this group of the Invigilators, he wouldn't have been able to coach Kaladin into his powers, right? Yeah, so it's kind of like this struggle between feeling immense shame for mm -hmm. feeling like I'm the reason I'm, yeah, I betrayed the people I'm, that counted I'm on bad, me. I'm wrong. Yeah, right. I'm, I'm this innately untrustworthy person. Right. Which is what is triggered with him in the friendship and uh, and the community that he has with Bridge Four because as they get closer and count on yeah. him, he feels a deep shame yes. and like he's going to fail them because he failed his people, right? Yes, and it's it yeah, it's a belief, right? He mm. truly believes that, and as he grows to love them more and more, it becomes more real yes. and more 
torturous for him. Yes. And and that's the battle that he's going through, which, you know, eventually we see he he starts to fall prey to the addiction more so. And then in book three, he sells off his uniform, which for the Bridgman is very symbolic. It's a betra- well, it's a betrayal. Well, yeah. Well, because the Bridgman were, these are slaves that are unworthy of being anything right. militaristic so, or so honorable that on or is like this new identity. Yes. So it really is kind of symbolic that he sold it, right? Because yeah. it's like saying, I don't belong here. Exactly. And they wouldn't have it because they mm-hmm. all love Teft. And they all, and the cool thing that's that's a part of their brotherhood is that they all have these paths. Yes. You know, they all have these pasts. Which is true of all of us. All, well, yeah, and absolutely. Yet, and yet we don't see that, right? right. We, we don't, don't see the connections well, we don't share that we have. No. We don't share it. We keep it secret. Right? Yeah. Which is what keeps... Well, we don't see it in others also, right? So, we don't see... We don't well, share yeah, it oftentimes because we feel like, yeah. Right. Or your thing anyone. isn't that bad. Yeah. You know, mine's this bad. Yours is only yeah. you know, that Or bad. I, I could forgive you for doing this, but, but why you, would anyone yeah. forgive me? Nobody could ever forgive yeah. me for these horrible things that I did. Right? And so, we have this history, this story with Teft where it's not... You know, it's not... It, it starts from a place of of inadequacy, shame, not being enough. I am the bad thing that has right. caused horrible things to happen, which then spurs into looking for a way to cope with this right. and just really desiring to connect and to be there for others, which is truly who he is. It is who he is. Yeah. And yet he can't see it. Yeah. He's this, uh, you know, he's this gruff mentor. He's this guy that is very lovable and likable. He believes in these guys. He believes in Kaladin and he's really the support structure that organizes the, the emergence of this group, you know, in in conjunction with Kaladin. And it's really cool because you see the, you see some recovery and growth starting to happen. Yeah. But you don't really, I feel like see more actualization until he really believes yes. that he uh, is lovable. Right. That he is uh, worth even protecting him own self. Right. And, and that's a really interesting thing because in addiction, it is selfish, right? It's putting my needs first. But I think that that, that might be a misnomer in of itself because really you're what you're doing is you're hiding your needs and you're just trying to survive Mm -hmm. and so i think oftentimes we look at it as a selfish thing but i think it's really not selfish it's a cry for help to connect and feel lovable and feel enough but you're doing it in ways that are destructive and hurt not only yourself and others which self-actualizes what you believe about yeah. yourself well and and is and is a part of really the fulfillment and the full yes. arc of tef that in this moment in this very key moment in book four he stands up to one of the betrayers you know one of the the uh, one of the uh former bridgeman has, has betrayed the whole group of bridgemen yes. and is coming to harm the bridgemen and Taft stands up to him and gives his life. I yeah. mean, he, and, and he gives his life in a way that protects the other Knights Radiant and bridgemen in that moment. And so he, he, you know, he, he, the whole, the full arc is realized where he realizes that he is good and for and he acts that out in yeah. giving of himself and sacrificing himself um, in a way that protects um, the other Knights Radiant. 
and and so the yeah the one that breaks away Moash uh, the bridgeman becomes powerful in his own right and and he'd be interesting to do a oh, podcast yes. on also oh, he's so riddled but but yeah it is it is so powerful I don't know how I'm not sure how Brandon Sanderson he's brilliant. like he he's brilliant he really pulls he's relationally in. emotionally yes. brilliant and his ability if you're if you're a person that. Um, well, I don't know what it says, but Brandon Sanderson does an incredible job of discussing and portraying and processing through these characters' mental health issues. Yes. I mean, there are multiple characters. I mean, Kaladin um, suffers with the most wretched and debilitating form of depression, and he does an amazing job of dealing with that. He he he. Um, Brandon Sanderson deals with PTSD, dissociative identity disorder, um, I mean, addiction. I mean, he manages, uh, and, and he's got a lot of redempting characters and characters that don't. Yeah. You know, and so it's, uh, he's a masterful relationship uh, writer. It um, is. It is quite impressive. It's really impressive. <laughs> How he does it. It's really impressive. But uh, yeah, the story of Teft and, and uh, addiction, compulsive behavior throughout the Stormlight Archive this is, is really a powerful story. It really is. And uh, it's just one of many Arcs. powerful stories yeah, there's, within the, the Stormlight his, Archive. Yeah, and it's, his ensemble of characters. Yes, it is incredible. worth a read. Now, they're long, long books, but... Uh, they are worth. They're murderously the long. They're like forty <laughs> hours of. Uh, yeah, they're forty hours plus audio book, and they're they're anywhere I think from like a thousand to thirteen hundred pages. But man, depending on if you're paperback, they are compelling though. Oh yeah, anybody that's gotten anybody that likes to decently read. Um, that I've turned on to them cannot put them down. Yeah, they are engaging. So you're welcome, Brandon. Thanks all for listening. There's and addiction. it was a lot of fun. There's Taft. Yeah. yeah. All right. Good times. One. Yeah, it was fun. All Adios, right, y'all. Adios, amigos. Be well, people. Bye.